Last night, our guest speaker at the temple was journalist Brett Stevens, who recently began writing for the New York Times after being with the Wall Street Journal for many years. He told many entertaining stories, as you can imagine, but the one that struck me the most was that several years ago, when he was working as the editor of the Jerusalem Post, he went to a conference in Johannesburg. And on the way back from South Africa, he got onto his El Al flight to Israel. He sat down in 1B. You know, he's wondering, wow, who's going to be who's going to be in 1A? This is a long flight, and I'm tired. And sure enough, Shimon Perez comes and sits down next to him. And for the entire journey, he and Perez, the Nobel Prize winner, Labor Party leader, army commander, visitor to Congregation Emmanuel, for those who were able to see him five years ago, they talk and they talk and they talk about everything from how to make Israel have enough water to nanotechnology coming out of the Technion. Stephen said that what struck him more than anything else about the conversation was that Shimon Perez never spoke about the past. Throughout the nine hours they spent sitting next to each other on the plane, and apparently he loved to talk, he was relentlessly focused on the future. Stevens used this antidote to highlight the power of optimism in the Israeli people that he still feels today when he walks down the cosmopolitan streets of Tel Aviv. But honestly, my first reaction was quite the opposite. Jews are obsessed with the past. Our whole self-conception relies on our continual reference to our history. Even at a Jewish wedding, the most hopeful of moments, we break a glass to remember the destruction of the temple and the other moments, moments of brokenness that we have experienced in the last 3,000 years. With the exception of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, all of our holidays commemorate historical events, from the exodus from Egypt at Passover, to coming up this Tuesday, as Rabbi Rodich said, the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai at Shavuot. Even Stevens himself, for those who were with us, spent the majority of his excellent talk telling stories from American foreign policy in the 20th century. He spoke primarily about the past to help guide us in our current political dilemmas as a nation. How could Truman's treatment of West Berlin during the blockade guide our relations with Russia today? How could Clinton's handling of the former Yugoslavia help shape our approach to Syria? And it struck me that in the same week as Stephen's first column in the New York Times, there was also an opinion piece from University of Pennsylvania professor Martin Seligman and journalist John Tierney, entitled, We Aren't Built to Live in the Moment. They introduced a relatively new developing field of research called prospective psychology. The idea is that what distinguishes our species more than anything else is our ability to contemplate the future. Our ability to contemplate the future. Studies have shown that we think about the future three times more than we consider the past. 
Seligman and Tierney write, the brain's long-term memory has often been compared to an archive, but that's not its primary purpose. Instead of faithfully recording the past, it really keeps rewriting history. Recalling an event in a new context can lead to new information being inserted into the memory. Coaching of eyewitnesses can cause people to reconstruct their memory so that there is no trace of the original left. The fluidity of memory may seem like a defect, especially to a jury, but it serves a much larger purpose. It's a feature, not a bug, because the point of memory is to improve our ability to face the present and the future. To exploit the past, we metabolize it by extracting and recombining relevant information to fit novel situations. Reading this description helped give me language to explain the Jewish calendar. I often get asked from first graders to 90-year-olds alike, is it true? Did it really happen? Even last evening, Stevens answered an aggressive question by a member of the audience by saying, that is historical fact. You can at least not argue with that. But my interpretation of perspective psychology is that whether or not it is true is not the most important question. We will probably never know the real quote-unquote answer anyway, particularly in a world of malleable oral tradition. The fluidity of our memory makes us poor eyewitnesses. Our minds are not computers. Our unique ability is to re-remember with each new context so that we can constantly adapt to the next challenge. My mother is one of five, and when I would ask them as a child what it was like when they were growing up separately, they would literally tell polar opposite versions of the exact same stories. And I remember saying, how is it possible that you lived in the same house with the same parents and that you literally cannot remember the stories the same way. Even the names of the people seemed a little different. Somehow, our minds, both productively and at times with a, a dangerous vulnerability, re-remember things depending on where we are in our lives in the moment and whom we're telling the story to. Did 600,000 Israelites escape from Egypt cross the Red Sea, come to Mount Sinai, and watch as Moses descended amidst thunder and clouds with Torah? Are we staying up late on Shavuot to study a folktale? I don't know. But I do know that I remember it. I remember the moment that we said yes at Sinai. Tired and scared, we nevertheless agreed to read Torah over and over again, and to try to live up to God's vision for us. The memory feels so powerful, even tangible for me, that in those moments of spiritual loneliness, when I question, why did I become a rabbi? Why do I care about these completely crazy Jewish people? <laughs> I remember the moment of that commitment, of that gift, that burden of Torah, that occurred on Mount Sinai, and I get out of bed, and I get dressed, and I come here most days. While it may seem that we are a people obsessed with the past, 
We are really in a process of retouching our memories to help us make sense of how to deal with an increasingly unclear future. Every year, we are, as the psychologist described it, metabolizing our history in order to cope with our anxiety about the future. And it is hard to imagine a people more nervous about what may be around the corner than the Jews. While our robust neuroses may make it hard to be present, mindful, or satisfied, this psychological theory would also say that it has helped protect us for generations. We anticipate the danger, and we know how to take precautions to try to protect ourselves. I learned from Seligman and Tierney that therapists are exploring new ways to treat depression now that they see it as primarily not because of past traumas and present stresses, but because of a skewed vision of what lies ahead. Many in our community struggle with depression and anxiety. We imagine a future, whether it is the next family gathering, like a bat mitzvah, or the upcoming board meeting, as something that we cannot face. But what if our memories of Jewish history can inspire us to have faith in the future? What if the trust that God placed in us on Mount Sinai when Moses handed us Torah gives us the courage to live a life of moral depth and ultimately chutzpah? Just like Shimon Peres, Zikronon Livracha, may his memory be for a blessing, looked toward the future with optimism, so should we. Let us spend the Shavuot this week and many of the moments on our Jewish calendar rooting ourselves in the memory of our history so that we can dream of a future together. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat.